Hey, welcome back everybody to the Benos podcast. And today's episode is a strength and conditioning episode and it features Roberto Yezzi uh, from Brescia in the Italian league as well as EuroCup. And today with Roberto, we talked a lot about the dynamics from his perspective within the team, the dynamics between him and the head coach, him and the doctors and him and of course the players. So the interpersonal relationships play a big role in this case. And we explored a lot of topics around that. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's got a lot of nuances, obviously, in my podcast, as it always does, and a lot of insights from inside the team's life. So please enjoy this podcast. Please subscribe to this channel. We need more subscribers also on the audio platforms. Uh, you know them well and probably better than me. And uh, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Bye. Action, Roberto. We're recording. What's up, my man? Hey, what's up, Venus? Good Thanks to see you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. We, we met. Uh, actually, I don't remember how we met. I just remember our coffee in Montenegro this summer. But uh, we have to give a shout out to Costas and Danius. But I don't remember which one introduced us first. Do you remember? Yeah, Danius. Danius was the first one. In, 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 in Jerusalem, right? Yeah, exactly. 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 I remember that uh, I was listening to your first episode, to the first episode of your show, and I went to Dainius and uh, I asked him, of course, if he knew you. And he said, yeah, of course, we are very good friends. You should meet this guy. And uh, he connected us. Okay. I, I remember um, Costas told me about you before. I knew that I knew of you before, but I think that Dainius, he, he, he brought it home. He brought the victory home. <laughs> Uh, Dana says hello, by the way, everybody. So it says hello to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today I have I have um, several topics for you prepared uh, for the for the coaches. As you probably know, I have four quarters, but um, for the for the head coaches, but for for you as a coach as a, in strength and conditioning, uh, I also have four segments. I don't like it's, but the m m main concentration will be on team dynamics and some specific problems uh, within your profession. And then we're going to talk about some off-court issues uh, that may arise or certain other things that are around the topic and finish off with ATOs. But as always, and uh, just for you and for every guest, I ask, uh, how did basketball find you first? So how, how did you end up being a strength and conditioning coach in basketball? So uh, first of all, I grew up being a, a big basketball fan. Uh, I grew up a little bit all over the country. Uh, I lived in 16 different cities and I'm 36 now. Sorry, 17 different cities and I'm 36. So that's a, a very good number. And uh, when I was younger, I was a big basketball fan. Uh, I did my high school and my bachelor's degree in Udine. So I was a big fan of Snyder Udine for those who remember this team. And uh, it's, it's pretty weird because everybody grows up thinking and dreaming about becoming a basketball player or an athlete in general. I grew up dreaming about becoming a, a basketball strength coach. So I, I don't know why. I was uh, really fascinated by these guys working out players before games. And uh, instead of wearing a suit, they were wearing just shorts and T-shirts, which I thought and I still think that is pretty cool. And uh, so when I graduated from high school, uh, I decided to pursue my career in strength and conditioning. And I, 
applied for uh, sports science, basically. I started my bachelor's uh, degree in Udine. And after that, I moved to Rome to, for my master's degree. And after only three months, I had a call from uh, Stella Azzurra Basketball Rome, which is one of the top youth clubs in Italy. Uh, and back then, it was not as big as it is now. It was, uh, we were kind of the pioneers of uh, Stella Azzurra. And uh, the owner uh, asked me if I wanted to, um, to have an interview to become the assistant strength coach. I said, of course I won. And uh, the day after I went to Stella Azzurra, I still remember the distance between the, the subway and the, and, the, um, and the door of Stella Azzurra that I looked on Google. It was 800 meters. I still remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this interview and after a couple of days, uh, he said, uh, yeah, the, the job is yours. Uh, we don't have salaries for, we don't have a salary for the assistant strength coach, but if you want the job, the job is yours. Uh, of course, I said yes. And so while I was still studying for my master's program, I, I started uh, working as an assistant strength coach there. And I was the assistant for two years. Then the head strength coach left to join uh, Astana with uh, Coach Matteo Bonicioli. And I became, became the, the head guy. I like to say the head guy, but actually I was the head of myself because I was the only strength coach there. And I spent there five more years uh, working with uh, some amazing players. Uh, we ended up winning two Italian titles, 115-118. That was my last year. Uh, and after that, I moved to Verona. I had the chance to join coach uh, Marco Crespi and work for a second division team. That was a very, very tough season for me, but probably the season where I had the chance to learn the, more, the most. I really learned a lot of stuff uh, from coach Crespi. I really learned how to be actually committed, precise, and uh, how to be a, a true basketball, uh, a true professional strength coach. And uh, a lot of the lessons that I learned during that season are still lessons that I use and I, am, and I take advantage of uh, now. After that year, I moved to Torino to join uh, Moncalieri Basketball, which is another big program in Italy for youth ba basketball. I spent there two years. We, we won an under-20 title. I had a chance to work with uh, some amazing players, some great coaches. Uh, I had a chance to work with Marco Simonovic, who now is placed for the Chicago Bulls, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and, uh, and after the second year, uh, I received the call that basically changed my life. I it was the summer I was supposed to go back to Torino for my third season. And uh, I was in Latvia with the under-18 national team. And I received the call from uh, Francesco Cuzzolini who is uh, basically the godfather of strength and conditioning for uh, uh, most, of, uh, Europe, the Europe, or most of European strength coaches. And he said, listen, there is Apple Jerusalem in Israel that is looking for a strength coach. I need an answer by tomorrow morning. They want to interview. Uh, and I said, okay, just give me one second. I need to call my, my wife. Back then she was my fiance. And uh, she gave me an amazing, an amazing answer. She said, is this going to help you becoming uh, what you want to be? Yes. Okay, let's do it. Let's move to Israel. That was it. So I Amazing, I, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. 
So I told uh, Francesco the morning after, yeah, I want to do the interview. I did the interview with the guy RL, the GM of Apple Jerusalem, and uh, I was lucky enough to, to get a job. And I spent there three amazing years. Uh, I loved the time that I spent in Israel. I had a chance to work with uh, Odette Katash, who is, a, who is a basketball genius. I, I love him, and uh, I wish him best of luck this year with uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. And uh, I learned so much from him. I really learned a lot of valuable lessons on how to manage players, manage groups, manage teams. Is a uh, big on that. So as I was saying, uh, I spent there three years. Uh, I feel, I still feel a little bit Israeli in my in my mind. My daughter is actually she's not Israeli, but she was born there. So I have a, I really have a strong connection with that country. And after the third year, uh, my wife and I decided to come back to Italy, and I received an offer from uh, Brescia Basketball. And uh, here I am. I just started my second year with uh, Brescia. Last year, we had uh, a great season. Uh, we, we made it to the playoffs. Then, unfortunately, we had a couple of, of uh, key injuries, so we didn't pass the first round. But throughout the season, it was, it was amazing. It was uh, an unbelievable season. And, yeah. Uh, this is my yeah, story. That's, that's in a nutshell. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a lot of a lot of cities you lived in, a lot of different uh, coaches you worked for, and and uh, working abroad always helps to give it gain a different perspective. You know, working in a different country with a different language, with different people, different mentality, it helps to advance also your thinking because you're looking at things from a different angle. But if we move on to the dynamics, especially uh, working, for example, with Kata, with Coach Katash, uh, but in but also with other head coaches. Um, I would want to talk to you about the dynamics with the head coach first. You know, there's a lot of like the relationship with the head coach is very important. And like, I'm always interested and I was always curious to observe the dynamic of the strength and conditioning coach trying to convince the head coach about certain things, whether it's the intensity of practice uh, to tune it, uh, tone it down, to tune it up a little bit. What what challenges do you see most of most of the strength coaches go through throughout the season in regards to communicating with the head coach? Yeah, first of all, you need to have the trust of your head coach. That's very important. That's key in our profession. And uh, I need to be honest. I was, I, I was, and I'm still very, very lucky because all the coaches that I worked with trust, trust, and trusted me, and uh, and trusted on uh, strength coaches. So basically, I never had to fight to to convince them about some ideas that I had about practices and and stuff like that. For example. With uh, Odet Katash every day, I was like, okay, coach, today maybe we need to push a little bit more. Today we, did, we need to push a little bit less. Or, uh, I don't know, today we need to sit out this player or the other player. And it was always, okay, whatever we need to do in order to have all the players available for games, we'll do it. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't mind. I don't mind. You, you are the boss. That was the, the, that's what uh, he used to tell me. And here in Brescia with uh, Coach Magro is the same. He always tells me the same thing. The only thing I care of is having all the players available, available for games. Then whatever we need to do during the week in order to get them available, we will do it. If I have to sit out all the players, of course, I'm not going to be happy. But if that's, if that's what we need to do, no problem. You, you are the boss. You decide that. And uh, I will follow you and, and I will give you my support 100%. 
Yeah, does distrust uh, between each other or from the head coach to the to the um, strength and conditioning coach it can create a lot of friction, like a friction, and you know it it can deteriorate the process in 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 many regards. So I think it's important to communicate certain problems that may arise. You know, so I think there's also a lot of foreshadowing that's to be done in 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 your profession, and it comes with experience. So the more experience you have, the more you can maybe foreshadow some certain problems that can arise as the season goes along do you do you have have you dealt or have you heard of other strength and conditioning coaches dealing with certain specific problems throughout the uh, season as well as preseason is 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 there more problematic in preseason than in during the season have you have you uh, experienced anything any big differences in in, uh, in in problems i think uh, it's more difficult in season especially when you play maybe once a week Because mm. the more you play, the less amount of practices you have and the easier it is also for health, for health coaches to understand that rest and recovery are very, very important. I want to give you this example. If you play just once a week, then you have five days in a row with practices. And uh, most of the coaches probably say, okay, they're not playing. They're not fatigued. Okay, I need them for practice. I need them available for practices. And maybe they they don't see what I was saying before, that the ultimate goal is to have them available for games. While if you play twice a twice a week or three times a week, like sometimes it happens in the EuroLeague, it's easier to understand it. It's really mm -hmm. easy. Okay, we have this players that these uh these players that have played like 28, 29, 30 minutes a game, they need to rest. They need to rest because we have seven seven days in a week. We have three days with games, and uh, probably we have also two travels in between. They need time to rest. So it, it's easier for them to understand that. It's easier for them to understand how to manage the load during practice. I mean, it's easier for them to have uh, like shorter practices, like one-hour practices, 45-minute practice, instead of having those very, very long sessions, like 90 minutes uh, or even more um, so, yeah, I think that the biggest challenge is for those strength coaches and for those teams that play just once a week. So so we had, like, when I was working in Germany, we had this um, also one game a week schedule. We played most of the times on Saturday. And my father was running, obviously, the, the whole team. And, and he, we have this Lithuanian cycles are usually in three-day cycles, right? So it, it was very unusual and it, it took some getting used to by the players as well as by the management that we practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday is completely off, you know, and I stay two days before the game, completely off. Nobody's there. We just take recovery day. And then Friday, two practices, Saturday, shoot around and Saturday evening or afternoon, uh, late afternoon game. And that was completely mind-boggling to some people early on. But then you could you could see the results because you were coming in fresh into the game and the load management helped to recover because the Wednesday practice in the evening was the most intense practice. And then you just have the recovery. Some guys went into a weight room just to go uh, ride the bike, just to break some sweat as a recovery day. And then uh, Friday, picking it back up. But yeah, I agree with you that it's a little bit of a different mindset and it's easier to do the classic load management when you have actual... Uh, like games, you know, with intensity and and uh, twice a week, and that's it's a little bit more visible, you know. But are there any certain metrics that you use to convince the head coaches that 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 can be helpful for for uh, uh, strength and condition coaches to fall back on? 
Yeah, of course, uh, you need to be very specific and also you need to share uh, simple information with the coaches. Uh, they want to see maybe a graph or something that it's immediate for them. They want to spend a lot of time reading numbers or reports. Uh, they don't actually have time to do, to do that. So what I like to share with the with the strength uh, with the with the head coaches and the coaching staff in general is uh, first of all the duration of all the practices, and then there is a graph that I use, uh, which I call intensity. But actually, it's not really the intensity; it's the density of the practice. So how the how how intense the practice was, which is basically the playing time divided by the total time. Okay, I'm all, I always have a stopwatch. It's it's very simple. It's something that everybody can do it, can do. But I always have a stopwatch to record uh, the playing time of the practice. And over the years, I found out that that if you have a practice that has a uh, less than twenty percent of density, that means that it's a really really easy practice. If it is between twenty and twenty five percent, that's a medium practice. When it's over 25, it's a hard practice. Over 30, uh, very, very intense practice. And this is this is not something scientific. It's just something that everybody can do. Uh, you can't find literature about that because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I did it. I've been doing it for like 10 years. But it's something that uh, the, the coaches pick up very, very easily. Okay. What do you mean by density? What do you mean by density? You know, uh, uh, it's uh, the the playing time for each player for each player divided by the total the duration of the practice. Okay. Yep. Okay. And that makes the density. I like to call it density because I feel that uh, it's more immediate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of the numbers that I that I collect. That of course, then of course, I have uh, a lot of other metrics that I collect. We use uh, first beat. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a heart rate monitor that also has an accelerometer in it. What's it called? It, first beat. First beat. Yep. Yeah, and uh, that provides me a lot of uh, a lot of numbers that are really really interesting, but uh, those are not numbers that I share with the coaching staff because, uh, as I, as I said before, I have like 100 numbers a day for every player, and they don't they don't care about it. They just care if that player is fatigued or not. If that player is going to be available. The day after or not and so on so this is something very simple that i share another thing that i collect from players is the rpe so basically after every practice i ask them how hard it was for you mm -hmm. and uh they have to give me a number from one which is very very easy to 10 which was which is a uh, extremely hard and then i multiply it by um, the total duration of the practice and i have the session rpe and uh, playing around with this number, I can uh, create the, um, the chronic load for, for every player. And uh, I can compare with the acute load of, uh, of each session. Okay. And uh, I, can have, I can get an idea of what is going on during that day and during the specific week for each individual. Okay, let's go. Let's go into the doctors a little bit. The, the dynamics with the doctors, because you know you have you have metrics, you have data, but you also you then at the end you do have injuries, which we're gonna get get to as well. And then the doctors come into play as well. So uh, how do you go about managing the dynamic and syncing up with the doctors during the rehab process? There's a certain kind of communication that has to be done. 
there is a certain uh, agreement and agree to disagree, but you still have to pro go through some, some sort of process together. So what are the dynamics that you find yourself working with uh, the doctors during the season? Uh, again, as always, you need to be lucky and you need to have uh, like smart. Uh, now, I don't want to say smart, but um, educated. Educated uh, doctors and uh, physiotherapists. Like in Israel, in Jerusalem, and now in Brescia, we have a, uh, like a great medical department. We have like two doctors, three physiotherapists. Uh, as I told you before, when we were in the line, we have uh, three strength coaches. So basically, after every practice and after every game, we have uh, small meetings with the whole medical department. And uh, we decide what to do the day after with each player. And same goes for injured players. We have the, the head doctor that uh, decides uh, the um, designs uh, like a blueprint for uh, for the rehab process. And then it's myself and the head physio that uh, create and uh, create the programs within the blueprint that uh, is create was created by the by the head doctor. And uh, after every week. We try to reassess the injured player, and uh, if it, of course, if it is a long-term injury, and uh, we decide if the plan that we we designed was good and we can progress a little bit, or if we need to step back or if we need to um, to stay at that level for another week. So I think that communication is key. Communication is very very important, and uh, like daily uh, and weekly and also monthly communication also delivered through reports is uh is very important in order to have uh, um, players healthy throughout the season and also to speed up the recovery process because sometimes a player can lose one two three days during the rehab process just because of lack of communication mm -hmm. and uh if we are talking about a team going back to what we were saying before a team that uh, is playing once a week, probably those two days won't affect much the final result. But if we're talking about a EuroCup or a EuroLeague team, two days, three days might be like two games. And those two games might be very important games. So what are what are some things that could be could be misleading and missing uh, being the reasons to to miss out those two, three days? What what are the things that are hurting in, in the communication process that are overlooked? I don't know. Even uh, like, uh, for example, saying, "Okay, with this player, we need to be to to move from." Uh, I just want to give you some uh, specific examples. Like, we need to move from uh, isometric work to eccentric work or concentric work in uh, nine days. But if after four days we forget we forget to reassess the, this player. And this player maybe is already ready and we uh -huh. wait for the 10th day instead of spinning up the process and the start after eight, we're losing two days. You know what I mean? So who has to communicate that? Yeah, the old mm. medical department. So yeah. myself, if I, if I think that this player is ready to move forward, I need to tell it to the head physio and to the head doctor, have a meeting together, yeah. maybe have uh, another, another check with be, I don't know, an ultrasound, an MRI, or whatever the head doctor think is uh, useful. And after that, we have the head doctor saying, uh, okay, you were right, we can speed up the process a little bit, we can move forward. Or no, 
I know that the player looks good, but uh, the images say that it's not ready yet. So calm down. I know that you're excited that it looks good, but uh, take your time and uh, let's spend some uh, some extra time at this uh, where where we are now with him. So so that's. Uh, uh... I'm trying to think, and I, I I know a lot of situations that can arise, but I'm trying to also learn from your experiences because there's some some doctors and contra, contrary to that, also coaches, head coaches, or uh, strength and conditioning coaches that are conservative. Some are conservative, some are more aggressive. So in terms of, because I love communication, so we're at, right at the topic where I want to be, uh, what are the most common disagreements between the strength and conditioning coach and, and, and doctors uh, that 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 cause friction sometimes it can happen that uh maybe doctors want to um, talk about strength and conditioning and strength coaches want to talk about medicine mm-hmm. and In- that, interfering interfering into each other's field exactly most of the time you hear like doctors saying uh, oh he's ready to do squat but they don't really know what a squat is or what a squat <laughs> is or whatever. And sometimes we, you can hear strength coaches saying, uh, uh, I don't know, I, he can recover from ACL in six months, seven months, eight months, but it's based uh, out of uh, something that we studied or read and it's not based on, uh, on what the doctors see uh, from the examination that they, they run with the players. Yeah, it's, it's also, there's a dynamic, which I don't like, we're not going to talk about that today, but also when uh, strength and conditioning coaches go into the coaching, into the X's and O's, you know, or doctors go into the X's and O's, or sometimes the dynamic of a front office, interf- like there's a lot of know-it-all know it approach. It can, it, can, it can happen, you know, you can have your opinion, but still the experts are there to be experts in their field, you know, and they have to, they're, they're the ones who, we have to assess and, and and make a judgment on that. And if we if we talk about injuries and we talk this, this is what we currently most most of the time causes the problems, right? It causes the friction. The injuries occur, and then you see not necessarily how what to blame, who to blame, but how to fix the situation correctly. So before the injury, though, with your experience, are there any signs? Because now we're going into dynamics with the players, right? You and the players. Is there any signs of of fatigue or overload that you observe before the injury happens? Are there any signs that that can be picked up by by anybody in the gym that can be maybe telling, taking the whole process into account? Not only that one day, but you also you already know the week leading up to that point where you see something. Are there any signs that 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 catch your eye? Uh, actually, yes. Of course, we're talking about no contact injuries because uh, if we're talking about contact right. injuries, that's something that can happen at any time and uh, to all the players. Uh, yeah, actually, yes. Uh, something that I like to use with my players is our is a wellness questionnaire that I give them every day. So I ask them just three things. Uh, just tell me your mood and schedule from one to ten your sleep quality, and your muscle soreness. Already knowing these three numbers, I can have a picture or of uh, what is going on inside that, uh, that athlete, inside that human being, actually. And uh, sometimes we can see that for three, four, five days in a row, 
maybe the mood of this guy is too low or maybe the sleep quality is low and the muscle soreness is high that probably uh those probably are uh, signs of a uh, of an injury that is about to happen interesting and, uh, and then also the coach's eye that's very important and nowadays sometimes it gets overlooked but the coach's eye is very important uh if you're a strength coach uh you need to be on the court during basketball practices you cannot just stay in the weight room and do your thing there you need to be on the court and uh focus on the status of the players during practice because maybe the, the head coach and the assistant coaches are focused on uh, x's and o's like you were saying before mm -hmm. and they are not paying attention to small signs like for example i know a player that is touching his knee and maybe he's touching his knee twice, three times, four times during practice. Hey coach, this guy is touching his knee. Maybe we need to check him. Or maybe just go to the player and ask, uh, what's wrong? Oh, nothing, I'm okay. Or man, this knee, is so, this knee hurts, but uh, I don't want to stop. No, okay, let me take care of it. Let me talk to coach. Let me talk to head coach. We'll figure out what to, we'll figure out what to do. We, we're going to manage it. We're going to take care of you. And uh, this is very important. And those are, like you said, that's, that's observing you know you have to be in the game in the practice in and see not not the not the basketball part but the the physical part it's it's very important and you like if the more experience you have the more it catches your eye automatically i think but yeah. when when you you are you have a lot of relationships with the players interpersonal relationships because you have to gain their trust you have to they have to trust you to to be able to also for you to do your job properly and it's sometimes hard to gain their trust it's it takes some time with some more than with others but have you found um certain ways to motivate players um during the season uh, to catch their attention are there any anything besides like die die energy energy or that <laughs> in the weight room but something something that 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 you can get through and, and break through their uh their skull to 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 get into their heads and 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 hearts better yeah uh first of all i I'm a strength coach that likes to talk a lot with his players. All the players know that there is an open line of communication with between me and uh, and them. And uh, if it's something very important, but they that uh, they don't feel like talking with a with a head coach, they know that that thing is gonna stay with me. Okay, I'm not gonna tell anybody. So they they know that I'm there for them, and they also know that I'm not one of those strength coaches, even though I used to be. When I was younger, one of those coaches that uh, say it's my way or the highway. Okay, so this is my office. We do what what I, what I say, and uh, and that's it. No, I like to communicate a lot with them. Also, when uh, it comes to designing programs, I always, for example, ask the players: uh, Is there any exercise that uh, that you want me to put in your program? Is there any exercise that? Um, you you feel like you have to do during the season in order to to feel well and to, to perform well and uh is there any specific routine that you do before practice and maybe you've been do, you've been doing it for like 10 years and uh you want to keep doing it because at the end of the day i just keep most of these players for one or two years and um so if they already feel well with something And uh, of course, it, it must have. It must be something that I that I like and that I feel that is not dangerous for them. I, I'm okay with that. But of course, it can, it, it all comes with uh, with communication. 
And um, so this is the first thing. Second thing, you need, again, I go back to luck, like I was saying before, but you need also to be lucky and have uh, smart veteran players, hardworking players. And uh, when I was in Israel, I was lucky to have the chance to work in with uh, Amari Stadomar and the uh, hardest worker I've ever worked with. He's, he, he's a beast. He was a beast when he was playing for us. First guy in the weight room in the morning at 9 a.m., last guy leaving the court. So that was making my job extremely easy because uh, everybody else was saying, okay, if Amari Stadomar is doing this, who am I to not doing to not doing it? Same thing here in Brescia, we have David Moss. David Moss, is, he just turned 39. And uh, there are a lot of similarities between uh, him and Amari. Again, he's the first guy in, last guy out, hard worker, never say a word, never complains. Makes my job so much easier with, uh, with young athletes. That's, that's why those guys play a long time. I mean, even Amari Stadamari, even after a devastating microfracture knee injury, he still played a long time. And I know out of, from experience, microfracture is nothing to joke with. So I, I, it's a lot of respect to Amari for, for keeping himself in shape and, 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 and having a long career for that as well. But something that you important that you said is also like things stay with you, you know, like handling information in our positions, whether it's an assistant coach that also has a certain relationship with the players uh, or the strength and conditioning coach and the staff. It's a very, very um, fine line. And you have to be really observing and knowing what needs to stay with you and something that the head coach needs to know when the the, the, the player's mind is not there and we need to protect them a little bit in, in a certain way. Um, and then another important thing they like to say to my athletes is that uh, at the end of the day, we are co-workers. They need yep. to understand that uh, I, I am here for them. So, so guys, I'm here for you from 9 a.m. to whenever we want to finish today. And uh, just use me, use my knowledge, use the fact that I'm here for you, that I want to work with you, that I'm excited to, to work with you today. And uh, once they realize that, it's, it's great. Like, I have players that come come into the weight room every single day, even just for 10 minutes, but they absolutely buy in and they, they, they work hard once they realize that. Yeah. Now, uh, that's something that you say also that to, to get through them, uh, get through to them and gain their trust and have, have their attention is something that you also talked about, I think in your um, blog post about lifting on game day. So lifting on game day is just an example of of trying to convince a player from you know that has maybe a certain uh, belief or like some other example would be bad habits with with certain things. How do you convince players uh, after you gain their trust? But how do you convince players to you know, lift on game day? Just as an example, just because you wrote about it. So uh, talk to me about a little bit uh, about those that problematic. Uh, again, I need to. To say that I was lucky because in Israel, the first guy that asked me to lift on game days was Amari. And uh, here in Brescia, the first guy who asked me to lift on game days was David. So again, it was uh, really easy to convince all the other players. But um, yeah, first of all, I tried to tell them, uh, give it a try. Give it a try on uh, during preseason maybe, or give it a try during uh, um, a game where 
you know that uh, you already know that you're not going to play like 30 minutes. Maybe you know that you're going to play 10 minutes. And let me know how you feel. And uh, I don't want to say 100% of the time, but very close to that, they report, uh, they report feeling great. Uh, from the very beginning, they report feeling great after the game. They report feeling great during the game. And uh, once you have the buy-in of one player, two players, three players, and so on, it's easy to to get a buy-in of the whole team. It's contagious. Yeah, it's contagious. It's, contag for, it's contagious. It's contagious. Well, why is it beneficial, though, on, to lift on game day? What's what's the specifics of that? There are there are so many beneficial. Like first, it first of all, it depends on uh, where you live, when you lift during the day, because you can lift uh, before the game, you can lift right before the game, you can lift in the morning, you can lift after the game, and uh, if you lift in the morning before the game, uh, you can actually have a, a good lift, like a, a very lift, because you you can lift a lot of weight with a, a low amount of uh, of reps, and that helps your Let's let's say your brain to be activated. Okay, you just work with your uh, most of the work is done by your CNS, and you mm -hmm. also have time to recover before the game starts. So that's when you lift um, in the morning before a game. If you want to lift right before the game and you are a high loader, so a player that plays a lot of minutes, usually you do a um, I don't want to call it a mobility routine, but it's almost a mobility routine so you go through a lot of uh, movements you go through a lot of movement patterns with uh with some load so it might be a, like a, a light dumbbell a kettlebell or a, a bar with not a lot of weight and that helps you uh reach deeper positions and be more uh be more ready for the game actually it's uh, a sort of mobility work done with some resistance and that's that is done by high loaders right before the game. If you if you have low loaders or uh, young players that are not going to play, you can basically basically throw them whatever you want because they're not going to play that night. So they can also have a, a very good lift before the game. And uh, if we're talking about post game lift, which is something that I I started to implement with my athletes two years ago, and uh, the more I use it, the more I I like it can have, again, different goals. One of them for high loaders is to enhance and um, start the recovery process. Because if we, for example, we use low load and uh, high volume, so a high number of reps, uh, let's say we use a, a bodybuilding type of a workout, even though we're not gonna use like bicep cars, but just to give you an example of the rep range and Percentages that percentages that we're going to use, you can elicit the production of GH, which is the growth hormone, which is the hormone that starts the recovery process. So this is just a way to speed up all the process. You can also use the post game lift in a whole different way and think about the the day the game day as a high low day and uh, exploit the fact that the players are already fatigued to fatigue them even more and have a better recovery the day after. So, for example, you can uh, expose your players to a good lift with uh, a lot of eccentric work, which is, uh, for those who don't know, like when you, uh, for example, lower the bar slowly, okay? Like to lower the bar, you spend one, two, three, 
seconds and then you explode going up on your way up, which is a, a very demanding exercise. It's a very demanding form of lifting. It's a form of lifting that uh, gives you a lot of muscle soreness the day after. So it's something that usually you try to avoid the day before a game. But it's something that is already happening during the game of basketball. So it already happened during the game. So you can decide, okay, this guy already had a lot of uh, eccentric work during the game. I tried to add a little bit extra after the game. So this day is a very, very high load day. And tomorrow it's, it's going to be a very low, low day with a recovery or maybe a day off. So this is another way of using it. Or you can decide uh, to work out the players that didn't play and for whatever reason they didn't want or they didn't work out before the game, they can work out right after. And for them, of course, it's a, it's a real lift. It's, it's whatever you have on the menu for that day for them. Do you make a distinguishment for those guys, whether it's before the game, after the game? Is there like a certain, uh, if you can put a percentage on maybe of focusing on upper body versus lower body uh, of, of where, what maybe stay away from the legs a little bit more and just focus on the upper body is that something that that players tend to do more or is it just 50 50 not really 50 50. Uh, i try to keep it really 50. Uh, i try to keep it 50 50. and one important thing is that at the beginning of the season i try to not even during the season actually i try to leave the game day lift optional mm. because i understand that lifting on game actually the game days the game day is um, is a very important day for the players. It's a very uh, delicate day for the players. So I don't want to mess it up. So I just give them, uh, going back to what I was saying before, I just give them my knowledge. I just give them a tool that they can use. I, I just try to explain them why I think it could be beneficial to use and uh, why they should do that or why they shouldn't. And uh, once they, they try it, once they understand, they really understand why they are doing it, again, they buy into it. But uh, if you just throw at them a pregame lift or a postgame lift without explaining them the reason why they're doing it, and just they just, okay, you're going to lift after the game just because I say that. No, that's not going to work <laughs> with players in general, especially with professional players and especially with the veteran professional players that's not going to work and that's not a good idea <laughs> for sure yeah i mean it's modern approach is more of a um discussion and consulting and helping like you said your colleagues more than anything you're 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 working together and you're trying to share your knowledge with the player and with the professional and and at the end help him so um whether or not he understands it but at at some point he should <laughs> and uh one thing that I want to tell you is that, for example, if you if you happen to lift right after a game that you just won, there is a a great great energy in the weight room. You have the players uh, playing their music, and you have the speakers like pumping music like crazy, and <laughs> players uh, yelling at each. Other. I mean, it's it's a great feeling after like, a, a win. It's got to be. A you you probably would have to also monitor them not to overdo it at that point because their emotions can take the better the the upper hand on that so after the game i'm sure after a win you have to also maybe calm them down a little bit not to overdo it with the weights yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, after a loss the energy level is a little bit lower <laughs> and uh, usually you have less players in the weight room but uh <laughs> but you have you still have players that do it 
And then you energy energy comes in <laughs> um so it, not, not a thing on the players um was the sleep deprivation that I want to talk about what what do you observe with players that are sleep deprived especially after games or uh, road games you know when they're it's a long after a loss especially maybe they can't fall asleep it's an intense night um do you do you see or how do you try to compensate and help them to overcome the sleep deprivation because that can cause injuries as well so there's some kind of um proactive approach do you have to, uh, uh, for that yeah first of all uh when we are on the road and uh, we have to come back the day after uh one smart thing that we try to do is to avoid red eye flight mm. so basically we never fly Of, uh, before 8 a.m., which means that we never wake up before 6 a.m. to go to the to the to the airport. But most of the but most of the time the, uh, the flight time is like around 10 or 11 a.m. So this is something that you can definitely uh, plan ahead, uh, plan in the preseason, plan in the off season, and that's one thing that you can do for sure. Another thing that you can do, and uh, here in Brescia we have a nutritionist, a very good one. But uh, in, other, in other teams, for example, it's something that also the strength coach can do, is um, recommend a good post-game meal to the players. Because uh, if you have a, a post-game meal that is loaded in carbs, for example, that um, helps you sleep, okay? It, it helps it help you falling asleep, and uh, it also helps the recovery process. But it's something that you need to take into consideration. And, uh, of course, uh, you should ask your players to avoid alcohol after games because that also causes sleep deprivation. And, um, yeah, again, you need to give them the tools that they can use. You need to inform them. Inform them. You need to educate them. And uh, once they realize and that what you're saying is actually true and uh, what you're saying is uh, actually helping them, They they're gonna use the tools that you're that you're providing. So, but how do you go about you you go about informing them as you see it happening, or is there something that a platform you use where all this information because information can be written down and given to given to them is not necessarily will be read, you know. So, do you uh, casually write the guys when you see them going into the wrong direction? Is it just a simple WhatsApp message? Is it something that you? kind of talk to somebody one-on-one -on -one about um, individually, or do you give a presentation to the whole team about these kind of things? Uh, a little bit of something, uh, a, little bit, a little bit of everything, sorry. Uh, yeah, there is constant communication with them, uh, con communication on, on a daily basis, especially when, uh, when we are on the road. And then we also, as I said before, we have a very good nutritionist here. That, for example, last week when we were in training camp up in the mountains, he spent the whole week with us, and he did uh, presentations for the for the whole team uh, two times, and then he tries to give a presentation to the whole team every three weeks. Plus, he has a, a individual meeting with each player every week, Great. and uh, he's uh, he's very good, he's very smart, and uh, he provides the guys with all the information that uh, that they need in order to recover better, to sleep better, to eat better, actually. So, again, we are lucky because we have a nutritionist, but I think that it's something that also a strength coach could do. Of course, it's not the same thing because we are not nutritionists, but we have a, uh, a basic knowledge 
of uh, about nutrition. So it's something that we can start doing, and uh, yeah, we can we can help. Uh, we can also help our, our players with uh, with this process. But uh, but again, if you if you have constant communication, if you try to create presentations, meetings with them on a regular basis, it doesn't have to be. Uh, something done once in a while. It, it has to be systematic. It has to be, uh, I don't want to say on a daily basis, but at least on a monthly basis. Uh, just to refresh the information, it's something that can go, can definitely go a long way with uh, sleeping better and recovering better and having a more successful season for sure. Right. Yeah. I like, I like that approach. I mean, it's, it's always, um, multiple people contributing to the to solving the equation you know and and because if always the same voice gives the same information at some point it doesn't go through and you have specialists for each each area it's it it shows also the uh, the commitment by the club by the by the whole team to you know to have everybody in their area the the, the professional and the, the the specialist to explain the problematic that may arise and players at the end they want to be successful they want to do what helps them uh, to be better players also so good guys good professionals good players will automatically adjust and and listen to that um to just to move on a little bit also to touch on your national team experience a uh, what do you see the biggest difference in in preparation uh with junior national team as well as uh versus the club team uh, do you see any kind of because it's a condensed schedule and how do you manage about going through a shorter preseason with the national team Versus having more time in the club and having more time to implement and and load up the batteries for the season, basically. Uh, from uh, my point of view, or yes. in general? No, from your point of view. From my point of view, basically, with the national team, you're given just five or six weeks of work with the team, and uh, just four of them are for the preparation. So the the main duties of a strength coach are just keeping the players healthy just managing the load of these players and uh, just giving them the, um, just providing some, some workout again, to keep the, um, the fitness level uh, constant throughout the, the um, throughout the, the, the training, uh, the training process. While with the team, you can actually coach the players. You can actually, actually train the players. You can actually load the players also because mm. you have a, a whole season Uh, in front of you, you have a preseason which is uh, six weeks long, and uh, and then you have ten months of season. So it's complete. It's a completely different approach, and uh, you don't even have time to teach a lot of techniques, teach a lot of exercises, teach a lot of routines to the to the players that you are working with the national team. Again, most of the time you need to communicate with their strength coaches. And maybe ask them, uh, this guy, what is what is he doing? What he likes to do in the weight room? Can you please give me some of his programs? Because uh, I don't have time to build a new program for him. Mm. I don't have time to give him a, a, to teach him a new, a complete new approach, a complete different approach. So I just want to keep doing what you were doing with him. That of course was successful because this guy is with the national team now and try to build. Uh, on that program yeah there's uh there's a lot of different cycles you can go through in in uh in in the club right in in national team it's very much uh quick and condensed 
precise schedule that you that you're on and you know it's a limited time frame so you have to really uh, be uh, as productive as possible in that short short amount of time you know like you said like during the season you have much more time also to have a building a new relationship you know throughout the season um what's what's your experience with uh, mini camp during the season because if the schedule allows it towards the end I know that some teams have a little like a, like a mini camp or mini mini preparation period, not only just to freshen up their mind, but also to reload the batteries, uh, as we call it in Lithuania, uh, to charge them, recharge them a little bit uh, after the regular season, before the playoffs start, for example, just to have a little bit more of a reloading process. What do you think about that? And what's your experience with this? Mini camp with a with the national team, you mean? No, uh, with the club team before the playoffs start. A lot of teams have like a, a small preparation period that they go into and they go load the players up to um, load load them with with a little bit more of a intensity, and then in that regard to have them recover and and recharge the batteries for the playoffs. Have you experienced that before? Have you heard of it uh, uh, being done and the efficiency of it? Actually, only last year. Because we qualified for the playoffs uh, with uh, like six weeks in advance, and basically the the last four games were useless for us. I mean, we already knew that we were finishing either third or fourth, uh, so we had the time to load them a little bit more and uh, to get them ready for the playoffs. But then I guess it didn't work because we lost in the first round of the playoffs. I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, again, like I said before, we had uh, a couple of key injuries. Uh, I don't want to use this an, as an excuse, but uh, of course, that's part of the reason why it didn't work. And, uh, and yeah, that was the only experience that I had because, for example, before in Israel, we were still fi- fighting to um, for the either first or anything in between first and fourth position. So we were always fighting until the end and didn't have, didn't really have the time to create a mini camp where we were just focusing on the playoffs. You know, we had to fight for the whole season, fight till the very last game of the season to get uh, a good position for the, for the playoffs. So the only experience that I had was last year. Yeah. It, it, it must vary from team to team and from season to season, each season can turn out different. You, d- you just never know, but I know this concept exists and there's certain certain amount of efficiency that comes with it if if it's if it's uh you know if the time is used correctly and it it has to really everything has to fit in perfectly that you have enough time for the players to recover you can't do a mini camp for three days and have them dead for the playoffs. <laughs> um, then you also need it it also depends on how the the league is structured because for example sometimes you have leagues where the playoffs start right after the regular season and sometimes you have leagues where the playoffs start two weeks after the regular the last regular season game and uh it's a whole different story of course mm. it's completely yeah. different yeah yeah tr- totally uh, so off, let's talk about off season just shortly before we go into some off court things uh and, and your personal things um the the off season training do you how do you monitor the guys and how do you hold them accountable when you're not around you know when when they have to train by themselves at their homes uh, before either before national team before they come join a national team do, you know how much how much uh, oversight can you give before they come to the national team and vice versa when you're with the club and let's let's keep the national team players out because they're busy and it's a completely different dynamic to keep them in shape or to have them recover but the the players that are not on national team and they have to join the club 
how do you monitor during the summer when they have two, three months off, uh, two months off, more or less, uh, before they come and join the club again? How do you help them to stay in shape? How much recovery time do you give them? I mean, it, it varies from player to player, but I'm sure you have some sort of concept. Yeah, sure. So with national team players, like I said before, uh, I try to get in contact with their strength coaches, ask them uh, what they what they are doing <clears throat> or, or what they were doing with the with the players, and then I try to reach out to the players and just ask them ask them if they are working out, if they are in shape, what they are doing, if if I can uh, be of any help, if I can suggest something, but uh, I cannot really. I can't really give them a structured program because most of the time I don't know these guys. I don't know these players. You know, I've never met them before, especially young athletes. So I I need to depend on what their coaches say and what they actually say. So it's a little bit trickier with them. While with with our players, the players that play in uh, in my team um, for, uh, for my club, it's it's easier, especially if you have athletes that are on a multi-year contract, because you can start creating a pl- uh, an off-season program from for them before the season st- uh, before the season finishes. And uh, usually, what I provide them is a is a complete off-season program. I like to give them uh, something between two and three weeks completely off, and then we start building up building up the um, the load and the and the workouts throughout the summer. One thing that I found very useful and that I started to use uh, three or four years ago is is an application that I use where together with all the programs that I send to the players, they also have the videos of the exercises. So it it becomes very easy to coach them uh, online, coach them even if I'm in Italy and they are in the States or wherever they are. Uh, in the world, and uh, for every exercise, they have a video. They can check the video, and uh, it's it's very easy. And it's which it's, uh, which program you use? It's called Team Builder. Team Builder. Okay. So that's how I I I work with my athletes, and of course, going back to what we said before, communication is key. I try to communicate with them uh, not every week because uh, I don't want to be annoying. It's their off season. They need to spend some time off. They need to enjoy their time off. They need to enjoy some time with the family. But at least every other week, I try to reach out to them. Uh, just a simple message, a WhatsApp message. Hey, what's up? Are you working out? Are you doing? How is your family doing? Uh, are you having fun? And just have a short conversation with them just to get an idea of uh, how do they feel feel how they're spending their summer if they're actually working or not so again i think that communication is very important on so many different levels for our profession for sure for sure i at this point i want to also give a shout out to pro pusher <laughs> i know i know uh, Justus and Sigis will probably listen to this and uh, pro pusher does the same thing and and has also some some that exercises you can prepare and the, the players can see and observe and you can you can construct a program that way um uh, alongside you know uh, monitor monitor them a little bit um you said to give them th- two three weeks off but I have this concept in my mind. I remember reading somewhere after the season that players are better off winding down slowly after a long season, you know, to ride a bike to still kind of uh, slowly give the body uh, uh, like an engine to, to, to unwind and have some cardio workouts 
instead of going from 100 to a zero. Uh, do you agree with that? Or is there some that like a certain amount of three weeks that are like uh, curving down? Or how do you how do you uh, advise them to do it after the season? I need to be honest. I like to tell them like take some time off. Like, okay. Do whatever makes you feel well during these two, three weeks. Okay. If it is just laying on the couch, of course, I don't like it very much. But uh, if that that makes you feel well, if you feel that that will help you recover, go ahead, do it. Because at the end of the day, we have we're gonna have like two months, three months to work on uh, on your uh, on your physical abilities and on your strength and whatever. So. Those two weeks are not gonna affect the work that we're gonna do later on during the, the off season. So I leave them uh, completely complete freedom about those okay. two or three weeks. Okay. Um, before before we go into my uh, ATOs, well, I, I want to call them uh, special lifts for you, <laughs> special lifting ex exercises instead of ATOs. Um, a little bit about your off court. Uh, you you do have two podcasts, not only one. Um, can you talk about them a little bit? Uh, because our, our hour is slowly winding down. But I, I before we go into that, um, the, the other questions I wanted to ask about your podcast. If you can talk to, tell, explain to people what are you're doing off the court. So off the court, I have uh, two podcasts. One is in Italian. It's called Idee in Giza, and I have a co-host Andrea, Andrea Giotoli, who is uh, the the strength coach of the under the under sixteen national team. And uh, it's it's in Italian. It's a specific for strength coaches. So we only talk shop with other strength coaches there. <laughs> Not very interesting for uh, head coaches, probably. But uh, for strength coaches, it's very, very interesting. Uh, so that's one of the two projects. And the other one is uh, in English. Uh, it's called Sport Vitamins. And there I try to interview, like, all the different professionals that I work in professional sports. So I had a lot of strength coaches, of course. I had uh, athletic trainers, physiotherapists, uh, uh, coaches, athletes, and uh, like managers, whatever. Like uh, a lot of different people that navigate around uh, the professional uh, the professional world. And it's a project that I started uh, four years ago. Uh, now I'm going to start with uh, with the fourth season in in October. Uh, looking forward to starting the new season, and uh, it's something that keeps me accountable uh, out of the outside the weight room, and it's something that uh, also gave me the chance to meet a lot of different people, get to know a lot of different people, reach out to a lot of different uh, a lot of. Uh, uh other professionals around the world and uh it's really uh useful because for me it's another way to learn because for example i like to read a lot i like to study a lot but listening to another strength coach or another doctor or another coach talking about their craft talking about their journey and uh, it's something absolutely uh priceless to me and uh it's something that gives me the chance to learn even more uh compared to when i'm just reading a book and sitting at my desk with a with a book you know so it's, it's a completely different thing but uh i really like it yeah that's why i i, I like this as well because it's much easier to learn interactively right like learning 
while while reading and writing down like it's it's hard sometimes because it gets very dry you know when you're having conversation you have some some sort of dynamic going you have examples it 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 sticks a little bit easier is there one thing is there one thing that you can point out it's hard probably because you talk to a lot of people that you can remember like from the top of your head like something that you learned that you never thought about from an, uh, another strength and conditioning coach for example one thing right now that jumps into your head yeah uh One thing that uh, most of the strength coaches have in common is uh, the topic that we've discussed today, and it's communi communication and leadership. Because, for example, uh, before talking to some MBA strength coaches, I've never thought about leadership being uh, a very important uh, feature of a strength coach, mm -hmm. or at least um, an important trait that a the strength coach should have. And uh, once I started talking with these guys and all of them were mentioning leadership, we're talking about leadership, we're talking about being, for example, a servant leader, or we're talking about leading by example and all this stuff, all this kind of stuff. I started focusing a little bit more, a little bit more on this topic. I started reading a little bit more. I started to also implement some uh, some things with my guys, with my athletes in my in my environment. And uh, yeah, this is the, the topic that I, I think I learned from. I learned the most from uh, from the guests that I have in my podcast. Okay. All right. Leadership, you ready for your quick lifts? Yes, let's do it. All right. All <laughs> right. Power, power lifts. Um, best conditioning replacement for running? Uh, lifting. <laughs> Lifting, okay. <laughs> uh, best full body exercise. Full body exercise, okay. I like deadlifts. Planking, good or bad? Good, but not everybody knows to do it properly. Okay. M more dangerous, jumping or landing? Landing. Uh, if you can put a percentage on uh, fitness, the importance uh, to be fit, nutrition, one, exercise, two, rest, three. What percentages would you put on them? So, <laughs> that's a tough one. I <laughs> think 33%, each one of them. Okay. Tough question. Welcome to my podcast. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um Best current book recommendation you could you can give. We always have like some recency bias, but maybe something current that you feel that's it's necessary to read. Yeah, uh, the score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh. Okay, I'll 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 note that down in the in the show notes in in the, on the YouTube channel. Have you um, read it? You read I, I haven't read it. No, no, I haven't read it. I haven't read it. I'll 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 take a look at it as well. Uh, top top three strength and conditioning. Uh, follows like follows it can be people it can be just strength and conditioning accounts on social media whether it's twitter or instagram what are the top three you can name off the top of your head oh wow that's a tough one but uh we're talking about social media so stuff yeah. that he shared out there uh i would mention uh lucas villar great one and daniel bow is a strength coach of um of the New Orleans Pelicans. And then I would mention uh, Max Schmarzo. Okay. Um, best personal investment you've made? 
Best personal investment, uh, getting married. <laughs> That's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> and one life skill you wish you had. One life skill. One life skill. Maybe be more patient. Uh, yeah, sh shouldn't we all be more patient? <laughs> okay, Roberto. Um, grazie mille. Bravissimo. Uh, you've, you've, you've gone through the gauntlet of the Benos podcast. <laughs> you survived it, I hope. <laughs> uh, tell everyone um, how they can find you if they want to reach out to you. And, and uh, I really appreciate you, you, you coming here. No, thank you very much. Been a, a true pleasure to be on your show, especially because I'm a, I'm a big fan of your show. Uh, if your listeners want to reach out to me, they can find me on uh, Instagram, Roberto underscore Yezzi, I E Z Z I 34, and that's my account. Or um, they can shoot me an email, Roberto Yezzi 34 at gmail.com. I always try to answer to everybody, so feel free to reach out. Perfect. Perfect, Roberto. Grazie mille again. And uh, I hope to see you soon again for, for some good coffee somewhere in Italy. Yeah, thank you very much. I'll see All you right. soon. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for coming. <laughs>